Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Bipolar podcast hosted by Emma Bell and brought to you by Bipolar UK. You can find all of our resources at www.bipolaruk.org. Welcome to this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar and in this episode it's a bit different because I have two guests that are coming on together. Um, One is Melissa and Melissa lives with bipolar one and that's her diagnosis and then also Jihad who is her best friend and also her interactive advocate for being a caregiver and these ladies are working together they've set up their own not-for-profit which I will get them to tell you about in a minute and they have their own podcast where they are trying to break down stigma around what a caregiver can look like for somebody living with a serious mental health condition because I think we have a bit of a stereotype in our minds as to what that might look like and um, what that person who's being cared for might look like so I'm excited about this conversation so welcome ladies how are you today? Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So, um, the ladies, it's morning for you guys. So, tell our audience. Um, I'll start with you, Melissa. So, where are you? And just tell us a bit about you in your own words. Um. So, first of all, thank you so much for having us. I think this is an exciting conversation when you can get the person who is diagnosed and the person who is there day to day in one room, because that is where we can really learn a lot. Um, so thank you. I'm from Miami, Florida. We're both from Miami, Florida. So that's where we, we are right now. Um, really quick, we started So My Polar as a nonprofit organization servicing the mental health community. I've had mental health illness since I was very young, probably five, four or five years old, as I remember having delusions and just so many different things. I didn't have, I wasn't brave enough, I could say, for me at least, to talk about it, or I didn't know really who to talk about it to until I met Jahan when we were 14. So Jahan is the first person I kind of told, well, you know, I hear things sometimes, I see things sometimes, and Mm. what do you think about it? And she was the first person that kind of was like, you know, Mel, I think you need to get it checked out. She didn't judge me. She didn't make me feel weird. It was more like, you know, Mel, let's look into this. And if you need help guiding to that, I'll help you. So for me, that was honestly, it changed my whole life from that moment until now. It's always a long journey, but when you have people there that want to understand you and help you, even when you don't want to understand you or help you, they really do save your life. That that is very true. I have a friend that literally fits that box for me who was there for me in my darkest of days so that really resonates with me and having a support network is so important and one that doesn't judge you right and doesn't kind of shame you I think makes all the difference in actually enabling us and empowering us to get the help we need um you know because it doesn't push us away um, which it can do sometimes when people are trying to help us it can actually end up pushing you further in would so Jihan so welcome um I'd love you to introduce yourself in your own words so tell us about you my name is Jihan Brownfield Gabart and I live here in Miami Florida like Melissa said um Melissa and I have been in each other's lives since we were 14 we met really young and um I just I just kind of segued into this space as her um care as her interactive care advocate formerly known as caregiver Mm -hmm. and um I was really young at the time, so 
being put in that situation or placing myself in that situation, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, growing up, Mel was a real loner, you know, like, you know, when we were in school, she got bullied and that kind of pushed her back, back into herself. So when we met, you know, she was cool. She was funny. So, you know, just naturally, I'm like that also. So naturally we just kind of clicked and um, getting to know her, I saw that she was just shelled, mm-hmm. you know, I just tried to, you know, just pull it out of her, pull it out of her, like different activities. Let's go to the movies, come to my house, you know, like, let's just do what kids do. And through that um, natural progression of our friendship, that organic progression, she just felt like she wanted to share things. You know, she comes from a home where she was the only child for a really long time. She lived with her grandparents. I come from a huge family, like huge, just kids everywhere. So for me, I was, <laughs> I was used to um, always, and I'm the baby. So people are picking on me. People are loving me. You know, people are <laughs> And people, you know, so I kind of, I kind of wanted my own space also because, you know, being the baby, everybody's already clicked up and then you're just the last kid. Um, but we kind of gravitated towards each other, each other. And through that, um, I just saw like this great girl, but for some reason she was like a little turtle, you know, when certain instances mm-hmm. came up or certain things came around, she just pulled back. So not knowing I was just trying to, you know, have more fun with her as a kid would, but I wound up, I wound up pulling her out of a shell and then through pulling her out of that shell, she started sharing different things with me. Mm -hmm. We went from 14 to high school graduation. We went to college together. And um, as you know, around, you know, in the early, the late teens, 19, early twenties is when mental illness peaks. Mm -hmm. So um, we were in New York city by ourselves. And we were in New York City, um, 9-11. We were, that was like our second day there. And um, going through that trauma, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was extremely hard, it was difficult. It was just me and her, I had family there. Um, but I really wasn't close with my family. I was just basically getting to know them as support. And um, being there with all of that going on, it just, it, it was hard on her. So I got to, and then we were roommates, we were college roommates, so at that mm-hmm. point, got to learn so much more not living with her Mm -hmm. so she had nobody else to lean on at this point so we kind of just grew into a different space through the traumas and you know the city is really it's like intense it's people everywhere it's horns everywhere it's um it's just a lot you know for somebody with mental illness it's not a good place to be and we learned that later on so that's the that's a quick (laughs) You guys, you have been on a journey together, and um, I was not expecting. <laughs> I was not expecting, um, you know, you guys to to have had to have gone through such a massive, um, shocking, traumatic um, event in time together in New York. I mean, just you know that that on its own is friendship changing for life going through something so huge together and also you know supporting um your friend through mental health illness which I know firsthand is is really difficult even when the world around you is calm right (laughs) it's hard let alone when the world around you is far from calm so so tell me a bit more so you guys are in New York at this point and you are how old? Um, I was 18. Okay. 
and well, I was seventeen. Yeah, you was. I was really young. Um, she was seventeen. And you were, and I was about to turn eighteen. Melissa's like like six months older than me, but yes, we were like seventeen, eighteen. We were kids, you know, kids, really ambitious kids, not knowing, not knowing what we're facing ahead of us. You know, we had big dreams, and we're navigating through this city. We got there on September 9th. so we're navigating through the city. Um, the night before I had a fake, well, we both had fake IDs, but we're thinking of going to the club and we're going over the bridge and we saw the twin towers and we were like, Oh, we should go and, you know, have breakfast. And two days later, kaput. it's, it's yeah. like, so it was really hard. And then, um, me being the ambitious girl, I am, I refuse to leave. I refuse to come back home. Cause I was ready to leave. She was, I ready. was terrified. And was terrified. yeah. You were terrified. And, terrified. and me, I set myself out on a journey and um, I just wasn't budging. And I was like, Mel, I'm glad and I didn't know what she was going through. Had I would have known what I know now, maybe, well, it did work out for the better, but I would have had a different approach when I was like, we're staying, let's just, you know, come and, you know, let's just conquer. You know, we, we got into a really good school. We just had, we just, it's New York City. You had all opportunity in front of you. You know what I mean? So I'm just thinking, why go back to Miami? what so and then we kind of started our journey so you guys stayed i mean i'm just like i'm just sitting here just in in awe of you um you you know this is a lot right you guys dealing with so much and at such a young age and i love what you say that we are ambitious kids because at that age we think we're grown up right don't we (laughs) and then looking back you're like oh no (laughs) i definitely was not um over us you know it just it takes looking back to realize right how um how vulnerable we are and how uh, at risk we were and didn't realize and all of these things so okay so you guys you stay in new york so how did you two questions i suppose how did you mel know that you had bipolar and Jihan when did you find out or know that she had bipolar was it one and the same how did that work out hmm. should we go and see <laughs> or should we go we have to laugh you know we have to laugh I know yeah all right. So, so we won't make this too long. So I'll go one, two, three. Okay. So one mental illness runs in my family. Many people in my family have mental illness. Mm-hmm. Ever since I was a young girl, I saw things, a lot of things, unfortunately, family members being committed and different things that I saw. Mm-hmm. When I started to see them in myself, I was a hundred percent afraid and in denial at the same time. Yeah. Um, so that pushed my diagnosis so, so far down the road. But one thing I did always knew, I knew that it was something, which thank God made that space for Jahan for me. Cause I knew it was something. I didn't want to be honest about it or I just didn't get it, but I knew that it was something. So it made a lot of space for um, accountability to listen, a lot of mm-hmm. things that she gave me, mindful tips, just small things. As a young kid, I don't even know how you even knew all of this stuff. That she would help me navigate to not like crumble. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
the, when did I get the diagnosis? It wasn't until 2000 and, no, 2010. So mm -hmm. we talked about from like young child, childhood age oh, wow. until 2010. And then when I got it, I looked at the psychiatrist like, you, you are wrong, ma'am. You, <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> I did not believe her. I, I, I came back, um, I came back home and I told Jehan, I was with Jehan at the time. And I came back and I was like, girl, do you believe she said I was bipolar? <laughs> and Jehan looked at me like, I do. Stop, <laughs> I do. <laughs> you and her have an issue. Cause I'm not. Cause at that time I only received that I had anxiety. Okay. I didn't want to believe that I had anything over. I just had anxiety for that. Do you know what? That, that, that doesn't sound, that, that makes sense. I can understand why you would be like, no, no, I just have anxiety. And just with a little bit you've just shared there about what you witnessed as a young person growing up and watching adults be taken into care and, you know, effectively have their rights taken away if they were sectioned and things like this. I can understand why your perception of having a diagnosis like that would really be something perhaps you might not want to get aligned with quickly, right? It makes sense to me that that would be your first reaction because it's to protect, right? I'm just like, no, 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 that's not me because if that's me, then that might mean that, right? And that might be too scary, might be too much. And I can understand that. Right. Given everything that you've gone through, I can completely understand why you would be like, no, no, they're the ones with the problem, not me. <laughs> she had a big one and she's an amazing psychiatrist so I was totally wrong and now <laughs> um, so I realized that um, without a clinical diagnosis I realized that there was something um, going on beyond anxiety or mm -hmm. oh I got it I'm okay I'm just having a bad day today in college um, that first semester um, and Melissa and I from the day we became friends until today. We're super, our friendship part of our relationship is super um, transparent and super close. We've spoken, as kids, we spoke every day, every single day. And then we saw each other at school. So I knew my friend, I just had never lived with my friend. But okay. now that I'm in the dorm, um, she didn't like leaving the dorm. She went to school. If, um, if she went out with me into the city, she would be fine. But like going on dates and stuff was a little weird for her. And when I would go on dates, you know, I'm in New York City, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I think she was gone. I was, I was going. Good. Good. She that's would good. literally like wait till I got back to the dorm, yeah. um, thinking that something happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I had a cell phone, so we communicated thinking that something happened to me, just in, in, in pure, just having a pure panic, like a panic attack, just like panicking the whole time that I'm gone. And um, our other roommate, who's now a great friend of ours, it was three of us, she <clears throat> began to pick up, pick up on some things also. And we're still friends with her to this day. And um, we all share stories that that's when we, that's when her and I, meaning my other roommate, had realized that Mel was dealing with now what is you know her diagnosis yeah that yeah. she was dealing with more than anxiety alone more than anxiety yeah it was yeah. extremely um 
intense, whatever it was. We had no words for it, but we just knew that our friend was was just going through something. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't depression because she wasn't down, but it was, it was something more that was like kind of going on in her mind that was making her very uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Um, so you go and in 2010, you get a psych, is it your psychiatrist or your psychologist that said, you, no, it's my psychiatrist. Your psychiatrist that said you've got bipolar. Yes. And you came home and you spoke to Jihad and you says, this, this is not me. This is them. It's got it all wrong. 100%. 100%. And <laughs> also let me know, at that visit, um, so it was kind of like an intake. So at that visit, I was also told that I have a, had a drinking problem, which I didn't receive that either. So <laughs> I was kind of, I was self-medicating through drinking. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm was so pivotal in me quitting thank god i haven't i've been i haven't had a drink in years years thank god you know but all of those things were moving around me but mm-hmm. i just don't believe it it's just like Look, this is a mess why don't you believe this but sometimes it's it just crushes everything you know so sometimes the truth crushes what you like you know what i mean so i do it was, it was just hard yeah yeah, and it, and it does because the thing is, the other thing that can come with being diagnosed is things have to change. Yes. Right? So if we accept that diagnosis, we're saying I'm ready for change or yes. we've got to be ready to say I'm ready to try and change or whatever, right? But basically some change is coming our way and... And that's hard when you've spent your whole life being a certain way and you've built in ways to cope, which I believe fundamentally are ways to stay alive, actually, because I believe without them, goodness knows where most of us would have ended up without these coping mechanisms, whether they're healthy or unhealthy. I do believe that in, in a lot of ways they keep us on this planet because they give us a way to cope with things that feel too overwhelming that we can't manage any other way because we don't know how because we don't know what we're dealing with and we haven't learned better ways to cope yet right mm-hmm. but they've kept us here some way or other <laughs> till that day and like you say that means that all of a sudden your coping mechanisms if they weren't particularly healthy ones have got to change and we become reliant on those they become familiar familiar feels safe even though safe might not be best there's all these things right it's not as easy as diagnosis great let's change my life it's like oh so I've now got to accept that I'm living with this forever and things have got to change and I can't just pretend I don't know anymore either right so it's accountability it's so many things it's so hard Mm -hmm. and it's like layers for me I accepted it layer by layer by layer by layer like oh okay yeah I've kind of known that needed to change for about four years but now I've got to change that bit right (laughs) and I kind of knew that bit needed to change for the last three years but now I'm ready to change that bit and it's just like piece by piece that's that's a good analogy it's hard how how I feel even now I'm like still like "Hmm." (laughs) I've accept this too now musing over it for a bit longer not quite ready to do that bit yet (laughs) I've given you 80% I'm working on the 20 all right (laughs) piece by piece it's hard 
it's hard and I also wonder if it's hard for those around us post-diagnosis because we've got the diagnosis and with the diagnosis can come a plan right of best advice best practice all these things that someone living with bipolar should or shouldn't be doing to have better health right and I wonder if it's hard for the people around us so Jihad I'm curious to know if when somebody's got their diagnosis and you can see that maybe a b and c is really helpful for them living with this diagnosis but d e and f really isn't but they still carry on sort of participating in d e and f and you can see it but they can't see it perhaps how does that feel for you as someone who's you know a caregiver looking out for her loving her how's that for you that's a great question and um that is exactly where the transition started mm-hmm. and a friendship to caregiver um, before i was a glorified friend but now that i understood i had to now help her in being accountable and help her in in taking that responsibility so that's where a lot of my creative like a lot of my creative tactics had to come into play when I saw those things just not happening, you know, because when you, when, as somebody without mental illness, you hear, especially, you know, just first listening to the diagnosis, you hear it and you think it's a lot easier to adhere to the plan than it is. Mm -hmm. I give a hundred percent respect to thinking it's easier and me being wrong and thinking that you can just change overnight. It's not Mm -hmm. how it goes. Mm-hmm. So the later I had to learn, okay, um, the accountability I had to, I had to learn that baby steps needed to have been taken. I come from a place where you are told something and you immediately change. Mm-hmm. You will fall, you will stumble, but that that's in another world. That's a different scenario. So I'm applying those tools to Melissa, thinking that it's the same thing. So I had my own journey to go on to. I had my own journey that I had to go on to help her, to assist her, to understand, to come back and you know, be her caregiver. Along that journey, I quickly realized this wasn't working, this wasn't working, this wasn't working, but she still needs to be accountable and responsible. So through that, we were working. You know, at this point, Melissa is a very brilliant girl. We started a, um, we started a business. Mm-hmm. So at this point, in the middle of us thriving in our, in our business, we get this diagnosis. So now for me as a businesswoman, I'm thinking business, friendship, diagnosis. How does all this work? Because the diagnosis is affecting. Now I understand why we would get into certain spats and things. So I just had to become very creative. I, I had to, <laughs> I had to um, have creative conversations with Melissa. I had to, I really put on a hat that I did not know I was capable of, of, of wearing that, or creating for our environment and we just got to a place where you know even with medicine melissa wasn't open to these people telling her that she needs to take this to think like and like a regular person so again with the drinking issue i totally was on the side of the of the um the therapist that told her i'm like you do have a drinking problem if a doctor is telling you that i'm not saying that you should take everybody's word because you still are an individual, but you need to look into it. And she was totally against it. I don't have a drinking problem, but everywhere we go, you're blacked out and I have to carry you home. You know, like literally sometimes I have to pick you up, 
get you in the car and you don't drink to enjoy, you drink to pass out. Mm-hmm. Those were, now I'm getting these professional opinions and I'm seeing, I'm, I'm, I'm really seeing it in person. So I'm trying to explain to her that these are accurate. Mm-hmm. I'm explaining to her my stance that I am still your friend, but it's just certain things we won't be able to do together as go out and have a cocktail because a cocktail to me is not a cocktail to you yes. you know you're gonna want to go and go and go and for me I can probably go and go and go but I can figure out a way to you know get myself it's home just or, yeah, it's, it's just, just different, different. you know yeah. I think the consequences are different right and the so, reaction chemicals in our bodies are different you know yeah. it's something that I can do that another person can another person can do that I can we're all individuals yeah so I would just but as friends in a group of friends, you don't want to be the friend that can't, especially when you have been the different person all of your life. Mm-hmm. So again, her best friend, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking for her. And at times I did, you know, if she wanted to get drunk, I'm like, Hey, I'll just be here and take her home. Cause I know that, that, that you just don't always want to be the outcast knowing what we're facing. So I did allow her to, yeah. and I did, you know, allow myself to be like, I know in the morning it's going to be a, a show, but whatever. Go ahead, I'll be home. You'll be good. You'll be fine. Even if you act out, you're getting a pass. Just mm-hmm. to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It was a very big transition. And um, I grew up at that point. I, I feel like that was before I had my own children. So I became that, you know, that responsible friend, that mm-hmm. responsible big sister, or, you know, that mother figure, whatever. I was all of that at one. I needed you know? all of too. you know a, a best friend I mean yeah. I just tried to I, I, once I understood it was heartbreaking for me also because her life is in a textbook her life is like on a piece of paper in front of her I couldn't imagine that for myself yeah so to help her feel normal again yeah you know you got to kind of let her see what and then you know one day Melissa realized drinking isn't for me she made that call That's I had I took the alcohol from her a couple of times, but I said, you know what? You're still an individual as long as you're safe. I already know that if another Melissa comes out, it's okay. <laughs> but I kind of let her wear herself out in a confined environment. She just realized this, I can't be productive, you know? And it took a while, but she got there. Yeah. Oh. And how do you feel about that, about, um, about what um, G has just shared? Melissa, what, what comes up for you? I mean, a lot comes up. And I think these are, this is why we have these conversations is because it, it's hard. I feel it, what, what she said made me sad. Um, what she said makes me feel glad. You know what I mean? That I had someone that wanted to be there. Um, I'm happy that I'm on, thank God, a better road and the best road that I've been able to find and through Jahan and her help and tips and so many different things been able to walk on but it's a lot I I think that's why we have so bipolar and we wanted to do this together yes a thousand of us that are bipolar that are talking and there's a thousand caregivers interactive care advocate for Jahan that are talking but when you put both of us together and I'm, and I'm saying, this is what I saw. And she's like, well, this is what I saw. <laughs> this is where people can really heal and people mm-hmm. can grow. Because 
we didn't have this. And where people can understand. And people can understand. The gap. Because honestly, you just brought me a new understanding. And I'm not going to get emotional. But I didn't know that you knew. But you allowed me to have that space. That's my first time. That's, you know, and it's so funny. Yeah. We do this all the time. We have panels. We have conversations. Um, we join with so many different people on this initiative. And I never knew that. I never knew that you knew, you, you know, Mel, you valued me and wanted to be an individual so much. I didn't know that. Do that all the time. Yeah, I mean, well, look at this. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no different. It's no different than two friends with no diagnosis. Of, right, right. You know? Right. So if you liken it to any relationship in life and you just look at yourself as you would someone else and vice versa, you would want that hand that's what you would do. And I, and I agree. And, and I continue to do it because at the end of the day, there's times that you do it for me. And, and, and it doesn't true. take a mental diagnosis or a mental illness diagnosis for you to want me to feel a certain way. Yeah, of course. You just right. know that in that instance, I got yeah. your back Yeah, as a I friend. Agree. It's true. It's yeah. just good. And I appreciate it. And I guess the biggest answer to your question is I feel gratitude the most because within the mental health community and mental illness, we're kind of like at the bottom tier. I don't, you know, people are talking, but they're not talking about what we're talking about. We're, they're not really there. We had a panel recently and people still kind of clam up when we bring up mental illness, but we're going to continue this conversation. Mm -hmm. And just to know that hopefully one day we can just be human. You know what I mean? Like, like anybody There's else. Someone with diabetes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, oh, you got diabetes? Yeah. I have bipolar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's the whole point of this. But my biggest feeling is gratitude. I'm so grateful. I'm so, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> you guys are just listening to this, but these girls are the sweetest. Like, they're so cute. They're just like, <laughs> obviously, they you can just see how much they adore each other. It's just lovely. Um, and do you know what I'm hearing is respect love and allowing somebody to have autonomy of themselves even when they're living with a serious mental health condition because as humans we can be really and I've been really guilty of it of wanting to just get in there and fix fix things right and what I'm hearing from you guys is that actually you were there saying I'm here I'm your safety net I'm not going anywhere I'm your constant and I'm going to hold this space while you kind of figure these things out and come to your own decision, because that's really empowering someone. And I, that's what I'm hearing that you've you've done here. And it's really quite wonderful. It's beautiful to see. And um, something I've been terrible at in my friendships years gone by, I'm much better at it now. But years before, I'd be in there thinking that I was fixing it all, you know, but actually I'm like, I'm disabling that person I'm disempowering that person because I'm not actually giving them the space to have autonomy over their own self right and what I'm hearing here is that intuitively you did that for Mel and I just think it's wonderful Me too. Me too. I, yeah sometimes you, you're going through the motions and you don't stop to think I'm that type of person like I've done so many things in my life and Melissa will bring it up to me and I'll be like wow because I'm not, it's a task. That's how I am at work. You know, when I'm at work, I've worked my butt off 
you know? And I look back and I'm like, wow, I just like worked a hundred days straight, mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. literally one day off, um, 12 hours a day. Mm. And I look back and I'm like, wow, but I just did it. I had to get it done. That was a task mm-hmm. I had. And um, it's the same thing with, with anything else I do. I don't stop to think about it. It's just a knee jerk reaction. It needs to be mm-hmm. done. This, you know, your mind just keeps on going. So you mm-hmm. have to just have to move with the times. And at the time, that's what we needed to do. I didn't realize how much work it was at the time. But again, hearing it back, I was like, wow. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's still a lot that you have to, now, you know, I have, I have, a, I have a toddler, you know, I'm married now. So imagine that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have so much more and I'm, you know, yeah. So, and I'm a hands-on mom. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a lot of organizing that mm-hmm. I do. There's space for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? so tell me how you finally arrived at accepting your diagnosis because I'm curious what shifted how did you think actually yeah maybe these people around me aren't just feeding me terrible terrible lies <laughs> and perhaps this is my story um so that's a really good question that it was a series of things um bipolar road for me I have bipolar one so Mm -hmm. for me it's high highs and really low lows Mm -hmm. and unfortunately I've had mania multiple times within my bipolar disorder without alcohol I was like oh wow where did this come from (laughs) so you know even for me I had to kind of learn those levels too because I was like oh I thought I got rid of that so it would go away but it didn't um we had we had a really bad fight, me and Jan. And by, by then I had started to take my medication. You know, Jan has really great, and we'll, you'll hear more about this later on, but really great tips and diets and different things that she helped me to do to get on a better road. But to get on that road, I needed to accept. And we had a really bad fight one night. And I was drinking and I was like on a bipolar spending spree, but I didn't have any money. So that was like, it was like left and right. So it's like, you're broke, but you want to buy the world gifts. And Jan in her most calm, peaceful vibe, because I remember that night, said, you know, Melissa, I don't think you have it. Just that sentence for me, was that was it. It was like a trigger, which I didn't realize till later on. And it was just... I'm like me don't have it because now I'm in you know I'm in this manic period I have this grandiose where it's like I can't afford anything I want why are you doing this to me and it and it was unfortunate and it became physical Mm. and that was probably our first time in all of these years literally having like anything physical at all and I remember waking up and being like I can't, we can't do this anymore. We cannot do this anymore. Mel, we can't do this anymore. Um, it, w- it was like, I almost like, I feel like I say it to Jan all the time, like I rose from the dead because I feel like that night could have went left or right. And you know, you watch that movie and it's just like blue pill, red pill. Mm-hmm. But I was able to see almost what both pills were. And I told myself like, no, we can't, we can't do this anymore. We cannot do this anymore. So that the drinking stopped, I got on a medication regimen, 
Jan helped me with this amazing diet. So I was able to use the diet to dose my medicine so I wouldn't have to have such strong medication anymore. Mm -hmm. And oh, I want to say that was like nine, eight, nine years ago, maybe? 2014. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not nine years ago, but we're, when I decided, and I think all of us within the mental mental health community, those with mental illness, we have to make, like you said, the layers, but sometimes it's that decision. It's like, well, I can't keep on pulling this paper back. We just got to rip it off and we got to keep moving. And that was my moment for me where it's just like, look, I already see where you're going with this and it's not going to be good. Um, we have to, we have to take care of ourselves now. You know what I mean? Thank mm -hmm. God for and thank God for the people who helped me, our roommate and different friends I've had to be there to give us all group laughs. But you, Mel, got to take care of you. Yeah. And so, yeah, 2014 was when it was just like, listen, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think we all need that meeting with ourselves. It's like, yeah. okay, boom, I can look at you. Oh, I don't want to push you through this. But if I'm not looking at myself saying, Mel, look, Right. Look at this, man. Look at you. Yeah. Yes. For ourselves, as so, much as yeah. we can find, you know, everything can't be this. Everything can't be that. Because during that time, prior to us having that um, argument or that that situation, I told you something. You did. You I told did. You. We spoke about spending. Yes. You we did. started putting. We tried to definitely lead. And we even put a. We even put a. I, I, I put a system in place. Um, because we have a business together, we have a business account that I would put money aside for her. So yeah. I would take it and I would, um, you know, put it in different accounts and, you know, interest bearing accounts. I would try to set it up because I knew how she spent and I didn't want 20 years, 20 years to come. And this is great. This is a great business that we're in. This is great money that we're making at this time. I didn't want her to wake up one day and not have anything for herself. Mm -hmm. We already had things in place, but when when these when these um, episodes came about, all of that is out the window. Oh, so yeah. I am just standing here alone, yeah. like the bad guy. Yeah. So prior to that, I tried to say, hey, let's um, let's look at the account when these conversations come up and we feel like this because if you don't see a certain amount of money according to what you're talking about doing, you know. For, for me, maybe I'm thinking that would no. slow you down. And that's another thing too, people need to understand mental illness doesn't rationalize things logically. I learned that. Which <laughs> you learned that learned and that. I learned that. Where it's like, oh, I have a yeah. great idea. You know, I'm gonna use all my money. I'm gonna spend every last dollar because I saw somebody on the corner and they asked me for it. So I'm gonna go back and give it to them. Right. <laughs> and, and you know, I've learned that but then it's a hard thing because how do you not trust your own mind this is going oh, to this this is all yeah. i have so i don't believe me yeah so what does that yeah. leave me you and, know and I, mean? I was always sympathetic to that you always said that to me and that's why sometimes i had to allow you to go as far as you can without right with, with, without covering your path to come back right right yeah. right yeah. right i had to let you you know do certain things because only you can prove to yourself yes. those things it's so hard coming from coming from another person. I'm not in yeah. there with you, yeah. you know, I'm out here. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. So that was my 
aha moment. And I'm very, very grateful to God. I'm very grateful that I was able to see both paths versus just went down one because I don't know how I would have got, I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, and there's there's so much of that that I think will resonate with so many people because I think there does come a, a maybe a moment or a series of moments where you have to kind of get real with you about the limitations that living with bipolar brings to your life yes what this person can do and be mentally and emotionally well and stable probably doesn't work for me and that is that's a hard pill to swallow right especially if you like what you what you've been saying you've always like been a bit on the outside of things it's like well now I'm really going to be different right so it's, it's really hard and um when it comes it's also beautiful because we can then take sort of radical ownership of ourselves and of our diagnosis and with that we can start to take more charge of what I'm going to do to stay well and it becomes more of for me with drinking I've stopped drinking two and a half years ago and I didn't drink to excess and drink still didn't help me stay stable I couldn't fare as well as someone who doesn't have bipolar having a drink you know it, the knock-on effect the fallout for me was greater to, takes me longer to feel okay and you know all of these things afterwards whereas the ne person next to me gets up and carries on like nothing's happened you know like it's just a normal day right that's not my story and um and now you know, that I think there was a period of time where I sort of resented the fact that I couldn't do things. And I was a bit resentful and a bit cross and why me? And, you know, which is understandable. And now it's like, no, I choose not to drink because I'm actually healthier and happier when I don't. And that's a far more powerful place to be um, for me anyway. So there's lots of stuff that you share that I think will resonate with people. And it's a, it is an unpacking journey, right? <laughs> we unpack this stuff bit by bit by bit. And we accept it bit by bit by bit. And that's change happens bit by bit by bit. Mm -hmm. It's not a one night thing, is it? Diagnosis, oh, change your life, everything's fixed. It just does not go down like that. And I think all the more why these conversations need to be had and why mm. we make this journey a very important one because mm. who helps you unpack? Mm. Who helps you pack? Mm. Um, in my case, thank God, I've been able to have someone that was able to help me and also continue to help themselves. Yeah. But what happened to those people? They met somebody, but the person got burnt out along the way. They said, listen, I can only get this far. I can't keep walking with you because I don't have enough for myself anymore, you know? Yeah. So if we can have these conversations and have as much reference as we can, people can have the information that they need to make a, a different decision, you know, mm -hmm. a better, in some cases, decision. Mm -hmm. um, so can you tell me um, about what you're doing with your not-for-profit and how you guys are like changing the narrative and breaking down stigma and coming together. So tell us about that. Tell us where we can find you um, so that our listeners can come and check out what you're doing. Um, so Stonemaier Polar, like I said before, we started it because we wanted a place where people knew that you didn't have to worry about fitting in. You come over here, 
you already fine. You already fit in. You don't have to do or be anything else. Me and Jihan say all the time, people have so many different areas and tables and whatever. You could sit with us. Don't bring your lunch, sit down. You could sit with us. It's been many <laughs> tables that I couldn't sit at mm. or it wasn't another seat. But for us, it's always space, you know? And so my polar is about making the space, mm-hmm. making um, myself and Jehan has, we wrote an ebook. It's a really quick, cute read, how I became a bad bipolar B <laughs> and how you can. <laughs> a cute title. Um, Jehan put a lot of her really good tips and mindfulness that she gave me to kind of work to get on the, of that path. And we threw it in the ebook. Um, we have it on our website. We, we've always been intertwined in the community. We've done charity work probably for the last 12, 12, 12 years. Yeah. But it's something that was very private to us. This conversation, this movement is very private for us. This is our real life. Yeah. And we always kind of protected it. But the only way we said, okay, how can we help people with this? You gotta come out. You gotta come from behind the curtain. Yeah. You gotta bring it out. You have to tell these vulnerable stories. You have to have these moments. So, so mypolar.org is everything about what we're doing in in public, in the light. But like I said, we've been doing this for probably 12, 11, 12 years, being in the community, going to a mental health facility. Jan had a great idea. Before the pandemic, we went to a mental health art facility and we sponsored Christmas um, Eve dinner for them and we just had a great time with them sang with them so many different things but it was for us it was for them so we didn't document that right so, so now so my polar is just us allowing people to see <laughs> to see what Right, right. Yeah, sure. And and this is this this all of this work is so important. And to be visible with it is super important because it does break down stigma. It does start conversations. And that's what you guys are doing. Um I'm so grateful for you guys being here and sharing your experience of being friends and you know, as individuals with this diagnosis, then coming for you, Mel, and how you've navigated that. And um, it's actually just been a pleasure to witness both of you interact together today and to hear everything that you've had to say. And thank you for sharing your feelings with me about it all. I'm really grateful for meeting you today. Yes, we feel the same. Thank you so much (laughs) for having me. Can you, before we go, just share your handles quickly, just say them so that people can quickly reference them to oh, find yeah. you? Yes, of course. So it's So My Polar. Um, if you go to somypolar.org, you that's our website. If you just type in hashtag So My Polar, all of our, all of our things will come up. You'll see our panel. You'll find our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook account. So So My Polar is a business page. We are an organization. So I don't have a personal one. It's about So My Polar. Yeah, yeah so it's about So My Polar. Um, but we are authentic. We're the ones who's answering any DMs or anything like that. Anyone who, who's in need of help or anything, we're the ones that are managing that. So it's not just a, our assistant or someone just like yeah. typing anything. It is us. Amazing. So, so please, we have information about how you can get help if anyone is feeling like they might need a mental evaluation, like Jehan always says, or any interactive care advocate, caregiver feels like they might need something too. Um, yeah. 
please reach out and go to the website. We have a lot of different information there as well. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for your time and loving you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bipolar by Bipolar UK. This is the last episode of series two, which concludes 10 episodes for this series. Um, We will be going into recording at the beginning of 2023 and releasing them a little later on in the year. So I really hope that this series um, has been valuable for you and helped you in some way. And I would love to hear from you and any feedback that you have to help me make the next series as useful to you as possible. Um, In the meantime, you can always check out our episodes from series one. And also there's bipolaruk.org, the website where all of our resources and all of the support that Bipolar UK offers is there and accessible for you. Take care of you and I look forward to seeing you all in the next series.